So Squitter, welcome back. Um, it's you were one of the first guests I ever had on my podcast, and almost 1.5 million downloads later, I get to have you back, and we get to chat about an industry that I know you're extremely passionate about. But likewise with me, it intrigues me because uh, obviously conservation and the whole thing. But um, before we get into it, just I don't know if you want to introduce yourself to the people again. Yeah. And, that everyone, all the new listeners, find out who you are and wh- what you do. Yeah, so I'm Quit Prinsler. I'm the director, if you want to call it, of Langside Meats. Um, yeah, we're a sustainability company that focuses on sourcing the best quality of um, grass-fed products and, and, and not organic, uh, we'll get to that later, but grass-fed and no antibiotics, healthy meat, you know. And we source it in Queenstown area and we spread it all over the country. So we've got a meat processing plant and uh, we farm ourselves. We farm a bit of cattle. And yeah, so that's my passion, getting healthy food to the people. The big thing about it, though, Quit, is <clears throat> and something, I mean, I think we've spoken about it, is the sustainability of it. And, uh, you know, you guys slaughter as needed. You don't over-slaughter and over-cater for what, what's out there. Yes. So our market has grown a little bit, um, but we kept it on the wraps a little bit because of the availability of the animals. The barrier of entry into this, because the system in South Africa, bank-wise and farming-wise, caters to getting beef a volume as much as possible, as quick as possible, and as affordable as possible to people. So um, from our point of view, the barrier of entry is more difficult. Because of a healthier animal that um, is raised on pastures, it takes up to three and a half years compared to an A-grade feedlot animal that gets slaughtered at 15 to 18 months. Um, so that point of view, uh, we had to cross that barrier of entry and we don't want to over-slaughter. So we cater exactly what we need and it's to, it's to uh, mitigate the losses, you know, because um, it's easy for a restaurant to phone us and ask for um, 500 kilograms of fillet a week. But the fillet is literally 1.8% of the whole carcass. So mm-hmm. it's unsustainable to do that. Uh, that's where dumping starts find, uh, taking place if you can't um, send the whole carcass. I wanted to, so you've had to specially handpick a couple of farmers that are willing to break, like you say, that barrier, that threshold of not just slaughtering every 18 months, now carrying it over to like three years. Yeah. yeah. So we were fortunate how it started um, is that we in the Queenstown area here in South Africa, um, we've got a lot of marginal felt, meaning mm. that we border on the old Siska and Transkai, which is the old homelands. So there was traditionally a lot of ox farming, a lot of people, because they can't farm their breeding stock next to these homelands because of the biosecurity reasons. You know, there's, there's venereal diseases that come in. So when we, we, that's how we started this business is we wanted to get a premium for that ox, you know. And as we grew into it, we are now facing um, a challenge where we need to get more people involved farming this way more sustainably to have more animals to market. So, um, yeah, we're definitely making huge waves when it comes to that. Um, we're definitely getting more farmers on board because there's a premium. But like I said, it is a slow process. When you say premium, is that premium just because you're paying for the better quality meat or is it premium because it's so high in demand? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of both. So uh, I've got at this stage, I've got 22, including myself, 22 guys that we work with. And I must say I was a little bit 
I'm not bragging when I say this, but I handpicked these farmers for the way that they actually uh, produce their animals. And then I need to then go to them and ask them to only slaughter a certain time of the year and balance because in a seasonal uh, country like ours, uh, I mean, everything's ready at the same time. Mm. So we have to manage our farming to get um, to get the conting- contingency plans in place so that we can slaughter 52 weeks of the year. So that's where the premium comes in. We have to, if we want the best, we have to pay the best. So I've got a good relationship with the abattoir in Elliot. And when I pick out animals, I guarantee it for the farmer. And we send it to him and we pay around about roughly um, about 300 to 450 rand animal as a premium, which is significant if you start looking at slaughtering 40 animals a week, mm. you know, um, and then th- those animals get selected. So even if I make a mistake and we um, sell an animal that's not really yet ready, we call it that doesn't grade a fat content of two plus, then I sit in the position where I buy that carcass at the full price and the farmer doesn't lose out on that. So that's where the premium comes in. Because I, I like that idea because, uh, you know, often they always say the, the farmer loses out at the end of the day and we've got to look after our farmers as best as possible. But it's it's wonderful to see that. But I also I wanted to touch base quickly um, on the supply. Who are you supplying? Has it become more of a demand, uh, the grass-fed status, or is it... Um, is it, like I said, is it a kind of a niche market, like you get your vegetarians? Or is the grass-fed side of beef a niche kind yes. of Yes, so it is a niche, and unfortunately, I have to say this, there is a lot of guys uh, putting wool over the consumer's eyes. Mm. So in the we've been busy since 2015, so at least we've got to establish a name in the market. So they trust the animals that I pick out. But um, you will go around in the restaurants all over South Africa and you will see the words grass-fed being loosely used because they see the consumer paying a premium on a grass-fed product. But it's the progeny that you have to look after. You have to ask those questions, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. So the market is out there, but there is also a lot of processes that claim to be grass-fed. And this whole yellow fat debate, so anything with a little bit of yellow fat people assume is grass-fed, it's not really. So, But what we have done, especially in the last six months, is we have been focusing more on direct retail, um, where people right around the country can actually buy straight straight from us. Um, Because, like I said, I would love to go into every butcher uh, in, in in the country, but... It's the ethics of the butcher himself. The shorter the chain is, the better you can um, see what, what you are eating. Is, it, is that sustainable, though, to be able to do everything yourself? Yeah, it's from a point of view in our closed um, environment with these 22 farmers, we've got a lot of growth that we can grow into. Uh, we can definitely do a huge portion of the market. So just for interest's sake, since 2015, we as Langside Meats have been the only grass-fed supplier in the country that's consistently slaughtered 50 weeks of the year. There has been a lot of other guys coming in and trying, but from a sustainability point of view, you would need one or two of the big supermarkets to buy into this. Um, to actually, but I'm, I'm talking long-term now, yeah. to actually um, spread the word and, and get it on the, on, the, on the general shelves in the country. 
But from a sustainability point of view, our group is quite sorted here. I think we're only touching the surface of what we can offer the rest of the, the country. So, so <clears throat> if we had to backtrack, I think just to fill everyone in, what, what, what is grass-fed? Yeah, so... Because, like you said, it's been used loosely, so... Yes. So, a grass-fed animal, we'd like to use in our system, we'd like to use the term feltriate. So, our animals are raised from birth right to the time that they are market-ready, slaughtered. Um, they are on natural pastures, which we call felt in South Africa. So, um, they get supplements, yes. We have to supplement them with phosphate, especially because our, our grasses are phosphate poor in the, su in the summer. But um, in winter, we have to add a little bit of protein. And the cheapest source of protein, unfortunately, is urea, which sounds like a, uh, like a swear word to everyone. Mm. But it's like 50 grams a day that we just add them to feed the microbes in the, in the stomach so that they can digest grass. So a grass-fed animal or felt-reared animal is an animal that um, has been raised to market uh, on a natural diet with no added high protein or added high energy feeds like they do in a feedlot. So, <clears throat> so if you're talking about natural, this obviously means that it's a lot better for you than the normal. Are you guys using any preservatives to keep the meat lasting longer and any of that sort of stuff? No, not at all. No. The only preservative we use is salt, to be honest with you. Um, we don't use nitrates as well in our, in, our, in, our, in our products. And we try and shy away from MSGs and GMO for that matter. GMO is just a very difficult thing in a third world country like ours to 100% to guarantee that. Because even your molasses meal that comes from mm -hmm. the sugar distilleries, even that has got some kind of GMO in it. Um, but preservatives, we don't use at all. We dry age our carcasses for up to 18 days before we send it off to market. Because it's an older animal, it's tougher. So that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest concerns that we get is the toughness of it. But a grass-fed steak also cooks um, up to 30% quicker than what a normal steak um, mm -hmm that you would find cooks because the water uh, content in the in the meat is a lot lower mm. um yeah i mean that's got all got to do with things like zilmax and um, performance enhancers being put in feedlots so they can turn over quicker and um yeah there is the it is a different product entirely you know we talk about toughness but i have got a list as long as the bible that i can tell you of the benefits of it the the thing I want to find out more about the beef market is that in in essence you guys are making it healthier but I want to know where where did it all go wrong what 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 forced people to add these steroids and these things to supplement these cattle or is it just because we couldn't supply the demand and we had to turn them around as quickly as possible? Yes, so that's exactly. South Africa, grade, uh, call it an A grade, but it's not a grade. It's an age classification. And we actually slaughter the youngest beef in the, in the, in the world. Oh, really? Yeah, so our beef that is slaughtered as A grades from the feedlots is extremely young animals that are pumped up very, very, very quickly with a high energy feed. And that happened in the late 70s, that the people had to, we were importing beef and we had to adapt so that we can keep it in South Africa with um, all the sanctions that we had and all that. So it created a massive opportunity for these guys. Mm. And they, we are a net ex exporter now at this stage um, of beef, which is very positive. Yeah. Um, but it changed our whole industry to uh, A-grade market or 
C-grade dairy cows and all of that. And like I said, it's not a bad thing. Um, we need the masses to eat meat and we need them to get curious and ask the questions and then they end up coming to us. You said we need the masses to eat meat. What, what has been some of the backlashes you've had? Have you had any with regards to, I mean, vegetarians in South Africa, it's not, it's not like worldwide where we have people picketing outside hunting expos and stuff, but I've always just wondered, I've, I've been curious about, you know, there's, there's a lot of these activists online saying about the methane gases and all that sort of stuff. Is, is grass-fed the healthier option to go? Yes. Yeah, by far. I mean, uh, it, I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it because some of our best clients and the clients that are the most passionate about our brand is actually what I'd like to call rehabilitated vegans. It's a, vegan, it's a <laughs> vegan that the doctor told him, listen, you need to eat protein. Mm. And then they start sourcing the best protein that they can get. I've got a client that um, would, he was told to eat more fat, but healthy fat. Um, you know, with the omega-6s uh, omega that we've got in the meat. And he buys regularly and he was a vegetarian. So um, I don't really get backlash, but we do get a lot of questions, which, okay. I, which I love. I mean, the more questions you've got, the better. Yeah, the more, the more I find that people are, are aware of, of how healthy meat is actually for you, I feel the better this whole discussion is getting. And the easier it becomes. But like, like I said, in South Africa, I think we're very fortunate to not have as many passionate tree huggers or bunny huggers yeah. in the rest of the world. But on, on, on that point is, is that getting back to what the, the natural gases and stuff that cattle. So obviously we've increased in the worldwide now. We've increased our, our cattle population. Are we not going to have to do the same with grass fed? Or is, is that something for the long term that becomes a lot more sustainable? You know, um, there's a, there's a double-edged sword in this world. Um, you need the protein that can feed as much people as possible. Mm -hmm. And then there's the animal welfare side. Is it good for the animal? And that's where the line gets a little bit gray. But um, what I can tell you is that a grass-fed system not only regenerates the grass and the, and the farmlands. We've got a farmer, Umtian Landman, who in 10 years... A carry capacity is the amount of animals that you can keep per hectare, mm. according to the government gazette, and it gets told to you. So he's got an 800 hectare farm. He's upped his carry capacity from one animal on six hectares to one animal on two hectares, just by regenerative management of his cattle stocks. So he's running 400 head of cattle on 800 hectares, which is unbelievable. Crazy. It's unbelievable. So that's regenerating the soil. And when it comes to methane ga gases, when you put a lot of animals in an enclosed environment and you feed them high energy feed to put out, they're going to put out a lot of methane mm. gases. So I'm not debating that. But when you are in a regenerative system, whatever goes in goes out again. Mm. So all, all it does is it recycles the grasses. Um, it it uh, puts its dung on the ground and gets trampled in, you know. So it's a whole, we talk about carbon credits. Yeah. And that is where we should move to. I don't, I'm not saying close all the A-grade feedlots. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying create awareness so that more people can regenerate their soil in a positive manner. It's not about taking the stock off. Mm -hmm. Stock's been there for years. 
It's about managing them in the correct way. It's not um, what you're talking about now. Yes, I can't remember, but there, I'm sure there's a few guys in Queensland that are doing it. It's not holistic farming. Yeah? It is. It is a. It is in a, a sense. In a way, it is holistic. Um, the difference is when you go holistic, you you try and fill the whole basket. So you have different kind of animals and all that. When you start thinking regenerative, you're thinking on the positive and you want to improve what you have. So regenerative is basically a step up from holistic farming. Um, it's a new mindset that's been around for years, but it's taking a lot of momentum now. Yeah. You know, um, Guys like Alan Savory from the Savory Institute in Zimbabwe, he advocates that a lot. So you're a, you're a big game guy. Mm. You, you like your venison and that. It's the same principle as what it was back in the day. In the um, winter rainfall areas, animals would flock there in the winter when it rains. And they would migrate in the summer to summer pastures. Where we don't get free-range stuff for anymore, truly. Yeah, yeah. Humans and birds are the only free-range stuff in the world. Because we can get on a plane and go wherever we want to. <laughs> Everything else is confined in a way. So we must mimic that in nature. To get back to where we were. I just I often I look back at it and I just think how much easier life would be. But the, the biggest problem I think out of this whole thing is that as our population grows, the supply has to grow somewhere. We have to feed these the, the masses, like yeah. you said. And unfortunately, I mean, with the bird flu that's just hit South Africa, proteins, cheap proteins have become a very reliable sort of the source and it's yeah. just getting more and more costly for us to have them but quit i wanted to touch a little bit on um on the healthier benefits and and when i when i said we were going to do another podcast I, I went back and i listened and i went through some of the comments one of the things were is there any waste that comes from a grass-fed cattle yes you do get waste you get cut waste which is basically um which is basically the feet and the, and, and the heads. But we have got a very good market in South Africa, like you said, cheap protein. Mm. So that doesn't really go into waste. There is people who can consume it. But from an aging perspective, when I age those carcasses, it creates what you call a pellicle around the meat. So it dries the meat out a little bit and it makes a, a hard uh, crust around the meat. Not okay. like a crust, like it sounds disgusting. Like but outer it's not, skin. Yes. Mm. Uh, and that is where we trim off. So we sit with about, I would say, 5% on average waste okay. of the whole carcass. But we reuse that in, in a lot of positive ways. Things like broth and things like um, pets mints and, yes. and all of that. So, I mean, from a business perspective, you don't want any waste. No, yeah, 100%. Um, so we, we've managed. What I find... As well, you're talking about asking me to compare grass-fed to your regular beef. What I find is that a grass-fed animal's pH levels are a lot more neutral than what a, what a high-energy-fed A-grade animal would be. So they are a lot, lot more, uh, their pH is, is more sour, basically. So when you age an animal that's been in a feedlot or a high-energy diet, um, you get more wastage. The, I was reading actually when we, I was reading about the holistic side of things and there were a couple of guys in Argentina that did this holistic farming and um, they did it with Wagyu cattle but their problem was was when they when they took cattle from from a normal cattle farm 
that had been pumped up with supplements and and you know that was high energy diet like you yes. said and they brought it into the holistic system they were so obsessed i've lost my words here but they were so success <laughs> they were induced they could get diseases yes. a lot easier so um the carcasses actually their head of cattle they lost i think it was 40 percent head of cattle because it came there were tick-borne diseases and all that sort of stuff that they yes. couldn't fight on their own because holistic they had to take that diet completely away yes. so is there any challenges that you guys are facing now were they in the past and um what's a better way to look look out for taking your cattle forward yeah look um we at least grew very very uh, holistically in that manner if i can use that okay. word to put it so um the animals that we slaughtered at this stage are animals that were raised and 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 in the system you know so but what we have found is when an animal gets fed a high energy diet it implicates its rumen so what happens is the development of the rumen of a young animal and also it damages it at a later stage because like i said the ph drops tremendously it gets extremely acidic in the stomach and it damages the filia in the on the on the rumen itself so the absorption of food gets more difficult okay. and you can't rehabilitate that animal unfortunately mm. um, so that's why they feed them until they market ready then they slaughter them you don't feed an animal that you want to breed with that way okay. because that's where mm. the bo- tick-borne diseases come in because a weak animal in nature yeah the the weakest animal gets targeted sure and uh, i see it with my children it's always the youngest who's got a tick on that <laughs> uh, and so it's the rumen gets compromised and that yeah absorption of minerals and nutrition and everything gets compromised so that's why animal can't get rehabilitated from that okay so what would so when you you because you never really you don't buy animals into this program you actually go out select farmers tell them this is what you need from them and then they will they will make sure that the cattles are bred accordingly or the cows are bred accordingly to that and if we do buy in you always look for a breeding animal that you buy in from another farm because farms are stingy too they won't feed a, a, a high-cost, high-energy diet yeah. to an animal that they're going to keep for years because okay. it won't be sustainable. So you'd find the healthiest animals are the ones giving you calves. Yeah. Is, is, the, um, is the grass-fed system the way it is now? Is it, is it easier for one uh, species of cattle or can you do it across the board? No, you can do it across the board. Is it? Yeah, we can do it across the board. There's certain animals that get market really quicker, certain breeds, um, especially indigenous breeds like Afrikaner and, and Nguni. Mm-hmm. But we found a happy medium in a, in a crossbred animal, basically a beef master type, for two reasons. The size of the carcass is bigger and um, the meat quality is, is very good. Okay. Yeah, so it's... We'd love to. We'd love to claim Angus, you know, and all of those things, and and breed specific. But we need that little bit of Brahmin, which is an Indicus type animal, okay, for the tick-borne diseases, because in our system there's no antibiotics, mm. no routine antibiotics. Um, so what do you do? Them. Sorry, what, what do you do when when a cow gets sick or something? Yeah, look, it's animal welfare, so you do take care of her. Yeah, you have to, but it's not not routine, so. You would treat her with antibiotics once off. She'll get healthy, but she won't be left in the system anymore. It's a difficult one to police. If the animal then gets back into the system and gets slaughtered, 
three years down the line, that antibiotics have worked, worked out. Yeah. So, so these, these farmers, some of them are using antibiotics on a regular basis in our cattle. In our country, yeah. yes. Um, you get places, especially next to the coast, where, where animals get, the farmer drives around with a two-liter teramycin LA, and anything its ears are a little bit droopy, they shoot with antibiotics because they've got tick-borne diseases, hectic, next to the coast. Red water, hot water. Red water, hot water. That's what makes us lucky. Uh, Our elevation is quite high. We're between 800 and some of our farmers go up to 1,500 meters above sea level. And we've got cold winters. Mm. So our ticks die. Yeah, kills the ticks off. So that helps. What... um what, what can people look out for when they go our shopping grass-fed in the supermarkets without being taken for a ride? Or what, what are some of the telltale signs that you would like to look out for? Yeah, so it's the color of the meat, first of all. I don't like calling it uh, yellow fat. Um, we can always share a little bit more information, photos of mm-hmm. the difference between the fat. It's a creamy color fat. Mm-hmm. That's a good indication of, of an of a, of a animal. And then a red, dark red color on the meat. Um, that's also a very good sign that it is grass-fed and when you buy a steak you can see the coloring on the back the stamp from the abattoir the age of the animal Um, grass-fed animals typically don't get fat as a grades so when you see a blue um, roller mark on the steak and it's a grade you know there's something in there yeah Um, but from green brown and red on the back of the steak that that is that is good what what got you guys into doing grass-fed it's we like i said previously we 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 used to farm oxen mm. and these things are extremely beautiful your uh, ox is a beautiful mm. thing a eh? lazy thing i mean all that it thinks about is where where's the grass and when can i sleep it's yeah. got no stress whatsoever and we had that for years my grandfather and the, my great-grandfather before that because of this marginal felt that we've got. Mm. And my dad got this bee in his bonnet and he said, there's no way. The, the prices were very low in 2015. And my dad said, there's no way we can let an ox like this go for such a low price. We didn't know about the quality of the meat back then. So my dad was in Cape Town and he went to one of the butchers there, um, Frankie Fenner Meat Merchants, and he stood in their shop until the owner came to speak to him. And that next Monday, we sent down two carcass, two hindquarters. So it's one animal's two hindquarters um, on the back of a bucky. And he started buying from us. And we started getting a premium for these animals. So that's how we started. And lo and behold, the quality was exceptional. We didn't think so, but it just goes to show. I mean, what, so when you say quality was exceptional, what, what, what is it that makes grass-fed so much better than normal beef? It's the taste. Um, it really is the taste. The fat melts at a different temperature than what feedlot stuff melts. The marbling is different. I'm not talking about wagyu marbling. I'm talking about um, the fat content throughout the whole carcass if it's market ready. Um, it is the darker color. It's more iron. Um, the, the omega-6 and omega-3 ratios are better. So, I mean, it's, it is a small difference. Uh, if you take the amount of steak that you consume, but over a year, um, it's very much equivalent to eating fish yeah. oil every day. Um, so it's definitely got an exceptional taste. Um, 
that helps it a lot. What what um, have you seen the market grow? I mean, obviously with us with the venison. I mean, it's just crazy how many people have started demanding for venison and really put a, a great drive into the whole healthy eating perception. But have you, what's your guys' market looking like? How is it? Have you guys seen growth? Is it sustainable? Is it not sustainable? Where where are we going for the next couple of years? Yeah, look, there's definitely growth. Um, I think the growth lies in the education. Mm. Um, so we haven't been educating like we should have. Like I said, there's a lot of grass-fed being sold in South Africa, but I think about 15% of it is the, 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 the true real McCoy. Okay, so, so if, if sorry, before you carry on, but if if you if you label it as, as grass fed, there must be some sort of standard that you would have to live up to. So, what is the minimum requirement for them to? Yeah, look, there's 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 a certification body called SAMIC, South okay. African Meat Inspection Council, and our guidelines are on the on the internet to go and look at it. It's quite a long list on what you have to do, but it's basically. Um, regulates the antibiotics the growth hormones and the diet that the animals get fed in short that's basically what it does and then there's a traceability from the abattoir to the butcher to the shelf and um that's where your cure code comes in yes okay yeah that's our own personal thing that's not expected from government side um but we've got the little qr code that gives you uh, the batch that we did in the week Mm. But that's where the problem is, is that the referee, which is SAMIC, um, talk a big game, and I don't want to step on toes, but they're not funded well enough to police that correctly. Okay. Yeah. So to give you an example, we would supply a butcher and he would buy 10 carcasses from us. And gradually he would go lower and lower. Later on, he's buying two carcasses. Mm. And I would go and visit Cape Town and I would go and see what's going on. And Sammy comes in and, and, they, and they actually inspect him and he shows his slips that he's buying from Langside. Uh. But he's actually buying two carcasses from us and eight from the abattoir down the road and sells everything as Langside. So that is the immediate growth that you are talking about. That, that 15% real McCoy grass fed. The 75% or the 85% that's left is grass-fed that's already being sold. That's not the real thing. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, but so you guys aren't butchering yourself. Yes. Are you? Yeah. So we've okay. got the, uh, the only link in the chain that we do not own is, is basically the abattoir. Slaughter facility. Yeah, the slaughter facility. And we can chat about why. Mm-hmm. I would love to do that, but it's just the cost um, of we're slaughtering 30 to 40 animals a week mm-hmm. and we are too big to be a rural abattoir okay but we are too small to be a low throughput mm-hmm. a low throughput abattoir you can slaughter 20 animals a day so we're close but not there yet and if i go that route it becomes like a crocodile with its mouth open yeah. the whole time you have to feed it <clears throat> yeah so um yeah but then on the farm we the carcasses come back to us and we do everything from 150 gram portion mince right through to our whole carcass. So okay. we do wholesale and retail. So there is a question I want to get back to you about the butchery side of things. But getting back to the sustainability and, and, and how the markets are reacting. Have you seen an increase in people wanting actually wanting to invest in a healthier lifestyle with 
with different selections from meat to um, venison or or is it just something that's becoming more and more regularly convenient for people to buy and enjoy the taste or there is there's always been the group of people who ask a lot of questions it's about now getting out there and making people ask questions Mm. there's a lot of people willing to make a change but they don't know where to start so um there has been an increase as soon as you know you come from the eastern cape you've got you've got you've got family from other um, provinces in the country when they visit you they can't stop talking of the quality of the the meat that comes from here and they go back to Joburg or Cape Town and they don't know where to go look for it Mm. so that is our whole objective is to there's people looking for it they don't even know they're looking for it but as soon as you make it easier for him to get it Mm. that's right and I'll be honest with you Dill I don't want to take hands at this stage with one of the big supermarket chains Mm. Because you, are, I'm going to be dictated on what I'm supposed to do. And at what price. And at what price. Mm. And in our game, what we have created... Look, we, we've seen 30% growth this year in our mm. company. From February until now. And that's only been because we shifted our minds to educating more. So I'm not willing to become a price taker again. But it's uh, also because then you, you start playing that dangerous game where you actually got to go back to the farmer and demand a better price from him and like I said in the hunting industry when 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 you get to a certain level and you become bigger and bigger and bigger your prices start needing more and more demanding so you go back to the farmer and say no well I'm going to pay this for could I'm going to pay that for or whatever and you actually start dictating the prices and then at the end of the day what we're trying to preserve and that's look after the farmers we they actually start losing out as yeah. well so I commend you on that. I mean, I'm sure it's not easy, and I'm sure you've had a couple of people knock on the door, but to stick to your guns, I mean, that's... that's you know, you're talking about uh, the price, you know. Can I tell you what will make a significant difference? Uh. Is to push volumes to a certain city and have a distribution center there. Self-owned distribution center, but the reason why I'm saying that is currently we're sending eight tons of meat every week to Cape Town. We can, the truck's capacity is 12 tons. So as soon as we go that little bit more, mm. that four tons more, it makes the transport cost better. Okay. It makes the, the product cheaper. So where can I then fill in that gap? Yeah. I can offer the farmer 20 or 25 cents more. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's... It's a whole snowball effect. A whole snowball yeah. effect, yes. Uh, and... I wanted quit before I wanted to get back into the butchery side of things and this was this was asked I did a podcast a couple of months ago with uh, the the impact one single animal has in the chain of I, I've always hated these these big hunters and, and a lot of South African outfitters when they come out or when they when they try and sell hunts and um, the meat gets donated to the locals and the village and all this sort of stuff and at, the, at the, this point in time, it's an absolute bunch of hogwash. Yeah. So one of the questions were asked when I was chatting, I mean, I couldn't put a figure, finger on how many hands a carcass touches within the butchery. How, how many people, you said you hired 22, yeah? Yes, in total in my whole operation. How many of those 22 people will actually touch that carcass? One carcass. One carcass. Yeah. So it will be the loader and the, I'd say... 
I'd say six, including okay. myself, seven. Okay. Um, so it will come from the abattoir. There's another team that loads the live animal, so you can take that into account as yeah. well. So that's the driver of the truck, um, and that's the farmer himself and his staff. So in all, if I would make a, a bold prediction, would be about 14 people would mm -hmm. touch it until it gets staked, stacked onto the shelf. Because to me, if you look at an industry or conservation as a whole, like you guys are conserving cattle through grass-fed means and that it plays such a huge link in the whole system because you've got to look after people yes. and people have got to look after you and with us with hunting <clears throat> you're indirectly supplying to so many different families yeah. just a healthier way of living and a healthier way of doing things and it's just so interesting that that the way you've you've constructed your whole operation how many people and how many livelihoods this actually affects in such a good way you know what i mean so yeah i mean the the whole grass-fed thing for me has always been intriguing and i i love meat and uh <laughs> i love i love diving into things but do you see any way you guys can improve or, or do things better going forward for the future? Or is there anything, is, is there any mindset you would, or perspective you would like to change of the consumer out there? Yeah. The only thing I would want to change is the narrative and the thing of asking questions. Know where your stuff comes from. You know that we are the only, when you come in this, in the meat game, we are the only guys regulated by SAMIC on what you put, what you do not put in your product. Mm. So when on our label, we have to say it has got no MSG, no preservatives, no this, no that. Whereas the normal guys who's just selling meat with everything you can think of in there doesn't have to disclose what unhealthy stuff is inside of it. So the whole system is reversed. Okay. Yeah, we have to prove that we don't have the stuff in it. So everyone's accepted the norm. So that I would like to change. Ask the questions. And if people get frustrated or they send you off to their manager to deal with you, you're not talking to the right people. <laughs> because if you phone me, I can guarantee you we're going to have a 45-minute conversation. Yeah, Because yeah. I'm passionate about mm. it. And then the second thing is know your animals. Know your grades. Know if someone, if a restaurant chain sells you triple A steak. Mm. Know that the only reason they're calling it triple A is that the roller mark that's rolled on the carcass okay. just happens to have three A's on it. Mm. It's not triple A. <laughs> it's A grade, which means it's a young baby beef. It doesn't speak to the classification. Yeah. But it's nice. If my kid gets a C, I'm going to be cross yeah, yeah. In, in school. So, oh, and there is people trying to change that. Yeah. And then one thing is the mindset of the farmers the barrier to entry if there's some clever guy listening out there who can give us financial advice and help us deal with the banks to fund a farmer for the first three years until he is mm. in the system because once he's in here it's a lucrative system mm. you are basically doubling your money every year okay in that system once you are in there mm. but it will take you three years to get there and no bank wants to fund a non-return on investment for three years but i think also as a from a farmer's perspective i mean geez, imagine it's in a drought and to try and fund that project yeah. just gets worse and worse but, but yeah. i mean the 
the like you said, the upsides, the, the rewards are, are huge. I mean, no, I but now you were talking about the drought. Here goes my goosebumps again. <laughs> a farmer farms with one farmer farms with a thousand head of cows. Yeah. One farmer farms with seven hundred head of cows and three hundred oxen. Okay. An ox is a money bank. You can sell it anytime. You get a drought. That farmer with a thousand cows has to sell his breeding cattle mm. to fund his drought. The farmer with the oxen sells his 300 oxen, still has 700 cows and gets through the drought easily. Shit, that makes so much more sense. It's, it, it, it's, a, it's a thing that goes hand in hand and, and that's how the people used to farm. That's how they used to farm back in the day. Do you ever do you ever get oaks asking you or farmers asking you for that sort of advice going forward? Because I, I you know, <laughs> a lot as well in the, I like referring back to the hunting industry because you get you get a lot of different or very similar scenarios. But there, there's a lot of outfitters out there that that are so set in their ways on how they did things, how their father did things, how their grandfather did things. And at some point, it's got to change because the whole system changes constantly. Yes. Do 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 guys ever acknowledge and want and want to learn from that sort of way of living? With with um, with encouragement. Okay. Um, so it's 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 a case of the proof is in the pudding. So mm-hmm. we are lucky, fortunate enough to have farmers who are willing to share anything. Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking about guys like Lou Allen McLean, Annie Vensel. Mm-hmm. Tian Landman, you can go knock on their door and they will tell you exactly what they do and how they've been doing it for years and how they've changed. But unfortunately, money talks. So mm. the first time you you offer a guy to come into the system and you pay him a bit of a premium, he will be hesitant the second time. He will be excited the, the third time and he'll ask questions the fourth. Mm. So it's... It's a process that you have to go through. You've got to learn. You've got to learn yes. to, to understand the system. People have been so negatively impacted by agents in the meat game. There's a saying that said... Agents like stock agents. Stock agents. Okay. There's a saying that goes, not everyone in the meat industry is thieves, hmm. but all the thieves are in the meat industry. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it's so it's hectic, yeah, no, and that's why people are hesitant to take advice and try new things. Um, it's not a new thing; it's actually an ancient thing yeah. that's just out of necessity. We've only got so much land in South Africa, For sure, and twenty-five percent of it is government-owned, and there it's the old homelands, and it's on a point of not being able to be regenerative. regenerative but mm. there's a lot; there's a gap in the market. Massively. Yeah, I mean, Scott, I, you know, I want to maybe wonder, and if you agree to come back, uh, touch base on, on a lot of the differences between stud breeding and all that sort of stuff, because I think it's such an interesting way that we've we've kind of adapted ourselves to living by, because we've, we've just become accustomed to it. And now with, with a lot of new initiatives and healthier ways of coming in, it's so exciting. And... And I really, I commend you once again, because I mean, it can't be easy. And, and for all the farmers that are involved in the program, I mean, it must be, must be very stressful, but the wards seem remarkable, which is great. And I mean, for the consumer, they're getting a product where they can look back at and saying, well, you know what, 
I can't solve my stress levels. I can't solve this, but my diet is one of the things I can personally have control on. And yeah. and one of them is it's just healthier choices. It's not really about changing, reinventing the wheel. It's just about healthier choices of meat, healthier choices of veggies, whichever way you go. But talking about that, I want you to touch a little bit on uh this new project you guys have got going with the the online store and how people can get involved with that okay yeah so we opened up literally a month ago opened up an online store very fortunate to have taken the idea from another a wagyu farmer um i phoned him and he said well um it's not really competition yeah we both want to sell our stuff so we've teamed up with the courier guy which is a courier company in south africa mm-hmm. And I've got dry ice suppliers in Port Elizabeth, and um, we gave it a go. And we've got four of, we've got eight separate products. At this stage, it's still whole boxed products, which uh, gives you a nice indication of the whole spectrum of the animal, basically. And you can order it, and it's free delivery right across South Africa, anywhere you want it. Um, there is. Uh, of course, just a time limit on that. Yeah. So your order must be in basically on a Thursday. Then I get the dry ice for your order and all of that. And then we ship it on a Monday. So it's not an instant thing where you buy today and get tomorrow. Mm. There's still a bit of processing that happens in between. But it's very exciting. Um, yeah. uh, it's been very successful. We've, I think, 22 or 23 boxes have been shipped all over the country now in the last three weeks. And it got there great courier guys been great everyone's happy so it just gives you the opportunity to get grass-fed anyway no excuse for you not to try it talking about time limit quickly i just want to touch on that before we have to go but the 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 time you pick hand pick your cattle how how long does it take for them to be slaughtered i can tell you what happened um yesterday for instance i met the farmer half past eight on his farm we looked at his stock, we picked them out, we said, right, that 24 is ready. My truck got there 9 o'clock, loaded them on the on the truck, and they went to the abattoir. Then they spent the night at the abattoir. Okay. Um, yeah, and they were slaughtered this morning. Without any feed or anything? At no, the they, they get purged a little bit, okay. which is a good thing. I mean, um, the animal doesn't starve or anything. Um, okay. he, he gets water, clean water, and that's about it. Um, but at that stage, I mean, it's already, it's, it's kind of too late for anything to be absorbed in yeah, the gut or anything. Exactly, yeah, and it can't get sick in that short period, you know. Yeah. It can get a virus, I suppose, but it won't, it won't, the antibodies won't have time to react. No, it's a very, it's a very healthy way of, way of doing it. Um, I think the abattoir, Andrews Abattoir and Elliot mm. are doing a sterling job, eh? Okay with the way they respect the animals and yeah um yeah so those animals that were slaughtered this morning is coming to my place tomorrow again okay then it's going to go into the processing plant hang there for another 12 days and then we'll start processing them quit thank you so much um i'm looking forward to we we launching a new youtube channel filtry edge chefs i'm excited about yeah. that one and uh yeah i'm looking forward to all the exciting adventures we're going to take with it um, but yeah, thanks so much. But I really, I, I would love to have you back here again. There's so many different things that we could have touched on, and 
but uh, with with the time limits and and how YouTube operated limits us a little bit but thank you so much for making yeah, time no it's awesome man. man yes you man Let, let's hit that two million man yeah. Yeah, i'm excited for you <laughs> we're getting there we're getting there slowly i thought <laughs> with the last podcast i thought i might have just aged over but it's it's crawling up but just the strides i mean the podcast has made in the last couple of years has been so exciting yeah. so but I'm keep it up though yes thanks, we're bro. supporting you and you miss horns, eh? you must let it go no, thanks i appreciate it but yeah until next time yes let's chat again Shop. thanks doll